adults, my name's Abby, in case you haven't had the chance to meet yet, and we just wanna thank you for allowing us to be a small part of your day, of your Tuesday. So thanks so much for being here. You guys can go ahead and be seated. Well, I wonder if you're anything like me, and you would say that over this holiday break, while you were spending time with your families, you came to this realization where you had a moment where you thought to yourself, man, my family is like really different. Like real different. Have you had a thought like this before? They say that there's always one person in every single family structure that thinks just a little bit outside of the box. And if you're sitting here tonight thinking, well, God just must have skipped on over my family because we're all normal. I don't really know how to break this to you, but there's a good chance the different one could be you. <laughs> now hear me, different by no means equals bad. In fact, some of my favorite family members are actually the ones who are a little bit different. And who I think of most when I say this phrase is actually my younger sister, Chloe. So we're all grown now, but I remember coming to this realization that Chloe was a little bit different way back in her early years. I remember there was this one time where she was in the second grade. She had a big spelling test coming up and she said, Abby, will you help me get ready for my spelling test? And I said, of course, Chloe, let's practice this word. It's January. And Chloe goes, oh, I don't need to study how to spell the word January. And I said, oh good, because you already know how to spell it. And she goes, no. But where I sit in the classroom, there's this big wall with all the months of the year. So when my teacher's not looking, I'll just go like this with my eyes and then I'll write down the word. Chloe was a little bit different. But my absolute favorite memory was when Chloe came home from school from her very first big test. Now my family, we were so excited about what her test results were. So she goes to school, she comes back and we said, Chloe, how'd the test go? How did you do? And Chloe goes, it went great. I got an A. And I was a little baffled by that. Cause like I never saw my sister, not once, pick up a book and try to study. So I said, Chloe, how about you go give me your test and let me see it. So Chloe leaves the room. She comes back all confident and proud, lays her test packet right in front of me. And sure enough, there was a grade A on her test. But then I looked a little bit closer and noticed that something was different about this grade because this is what I saw. All right, there is an A on that test. And keep in mind, this little girl's in elementary school coming home with this. And I looked at her because I'm looking at this test. Half of the letter is in a red marker while there's this itty bitty line in pencil that completes the A. What that really looks like is an F. And so playing along with Chloe's game, I said, now Chloe, why do you think your teacher wrote half of your grade with a red marker and the other half in pencil? And Chloe, with all confidence in the world, she goes, I don't know, maybe she ran out of ink. <laughs> that was the day where we learned. When it comes to my little sister, Chloe, not everything is as it seems. And have you ever noticed in our own lives that not everything is as it seems? Not everything is as it seems. See, we live in a world where we've mastered the art of cover-ups. We know just what to do so we won't stand out from the crowd and we can fit in. 
But did you know that statistics show that three out of five people are lonely, isolated, overwhelmed by what it's like to feel less than, left out, and lonely. Go ahead and look around this room. If that statistic were true here tonight, that would be six people on the front row alone, isolated and struggling with the sting of loneliness. But tonight, we are starting our brand new series titled For the Loved and the Lonely. You wanna get excited about that? I think there's more than one. Let's try it again. Ready, three, two, one. Oh, you guys were excited before I even said anything. Look at you. But we're in part one of this series, For the Loved and For the Lonely. And what I've noticed about this topic is that those two things aren't always the easiest to differentiate from. Right, it's not just putting people into two boxes saying, well, this is the married and this is the unmarried, or this is though in a relationship and those single, or this is those who go to church and that's who don't go to church. It's not breaking these things down in an age category. No, for the loved and the lonely is for everyone. Because the truth is, you could be lonely because you're all alone, or you could be lonely standing in a crowded room wrestling with the fact that no one knows what it's like to be you. You can be lonely because you're all alone or wrestling with the fact that no one knows what it's like to be you. No one knows that anxiety you have before you walk into a place thinking, well, who am I gonna talk to? And even when I find them, are they even gonna like me? No one knows what it's like to be you after walking through all the battles you've had to go through in your life. And they've caused you to build walls around your heart where even those closest to you don't even get to know the real you. See, loneliness can show up whether you're all alone, whether you're standing in the midst of a crowded room, surrounded by people just desperately wanting one person to see and know you. And the truth is, is I don't know what you came in here with tonight. I don't know what struggles you're going through. But what I do know is we all know what it's like to be lonely and we all know what it's like to be loved because you are. So whether you're here tonight and you would say that you resonate with being loved, God sees you and God wants to speak to you. But if you're here tonight and you would say that you feel more lonely, God sees you and he wants to speak to you. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up with me to Mark chapter one. That's in the New Testament. So a little ways away in your Bible, so while you're getting there, let me go ahead and set up the context for you. See, this is the gospel according to Mark. And gospel is that big word people use to really say that they're talking about the life of Jesus, right? So his birth, the life he lived, the miracles performed, his death, and then his one day resurrection. And in the Bible, there are four gospels, that according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But what's interesting when you study this text is that Mark actually gives an account of the shortest gospel, which tells me that Mark was very careful to give the writings the credence they deserved while also keeping in mind the economy of his words so that the most important things would stand out to you and me tonight. So what are those important things that Mark wants us to take thought of? I'm so glad you asked because we find it out in the scriptures. So come on, young adults, if you're ready for the word of the Lord tonight, let me hear you say, I'm ready. Are you ready? Let's try that one more time. Are you ready? 
All right, starting in Mark chapter one, we're gonna pick up in verse 35. This is what God's word says. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, well, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also, for that is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons, when a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean, he said. Well, Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priests. Instead, the man went out and began to talk freely about his healing spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. If you're following along with me tonight, go ahead and repeat that phrase, lonely places. Ready, go. Lonely places. Jesus could no longer walk freely, but had to go outside into lonely places. See, if there's anyone that could understand loneliness, it would be Jesus. Not only was it written in the word and prophesied before it happened, but when it happened, we see that there was this time in the scriptures where Jesus was left hanging on a cross, crucified to cover all the sins and the shames that we would one day commit. As Jesus was hanging on that cross with nails in his hands, just bleeding out, he said this phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus, he understood what it was like to be lonely. But if there was a person that was a close second to understanding this feeling, it would be a leper, a person with the disease of leprosy. See, leprosy was a very contagious skin disease found back in the scriptures. Those with leprosy were shunned from society. They were removed from the towns and placed into isolation out of fear that they would contaminate others. See, leprosy was when skin breakouts would erupt all over your body. It said that leprosy actually affects your central nervous system, taking away your ability to feel pain. And it makes me wonder, what do you think hurt worse? The physical pain from the sores or the mental pain from being stuck in isolation? But take notice. In the scriptures, there's not just one man in a lonely place, there's two. Because one, there's a man with leprosy, but when we learn from the very first verse, in verse 35, it says that Jesus, he got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. Jesus, too, is alone. And when you look at the scriptures and you study that phrase, solitary place, you see it defined as the wilderness or a desert place. See, Jesus... He understood exactly what it was like to be in a lonely place. And I believe that there are three things that God would want us to remember tonight when we go through loneliness by looking at this passage of scripture. 
And so I know, young adults, so many of you, you make me proud. Because you come in with all, like, your fancy note-taking devices, your iPads, your phones, all that, your notebooks. And so if you're taking notes, go ahead and get ready to write this first thing down. Officer Lisa Turkish, she bet it, said it best when she said, if the enemy can isolate us, whew, then he can influence us. If the enemy can isolate us, he can influence us. See, just as danger can await a fawn that gets left off and removed from the pack in the wild, so too can danger come near us when we are stuck in isolation because it's there we are most prone to the enemy's destructive lies. And if you notice in verse 40, it said that a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, saying, Jesus, if you are willing, then you can make me clean. See, what this text is simply saying that when it comes to this man, the only thing that we know about him is that he has leprosy. The only thing that we know about this man is his issue. We don't know this man's name. We don't know his story. We don't know what makes his heart beat with passion as he speaks about something he loves so deeply. We don't even know how long this man has been stuck in isolation for. Whether or not he's known it his whole life because he was born with leprosy, or whether or not he has a family that's just waiting for him back home. No, the only thing that we know this man by is his issue. And if you look back in Old Testament scriptures, in Leviticus chapter 13, it tells us the written law for those with leprosy. And it said anyone with such a defiling disease, pause, do you hear the shame in that word? Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkept, and cover the lower part of their face as they cry out, unclean, unclean. See, before the man could even enter into a space, he had to call himself out by his issue, saying, unclean, unclean. Could you imagine having to walk into a place and the very first thing that you had to reveal yourself by was your greatest struggle or temptation. Maybe for you, it's not shouting unclean, but maybe it's something like anger issues or anxiety, addiction, unemployed, undiagnosed, leaving doctors baffled. Here are all of my issues. But again, I say, if the enemy can isolate us, then he can influence. And that's of a great danger because it's in isolation where we are most prone to hear the devil's lies. And can he, he, can, he can even have us believing that all we are is our issue. If you come to New Hope on a Sunday, and if you were sitting with us in our young adult section as we heard Pastor Reese teach this past Sunday, he was teaching us about how we are to pray. And I love this line that Pastor Reese said. He said that God is a creative God, but the enemy is not. So the enemy only has one weapon that he oh so commonly pulls out to try to attack us with. And that weapon is our identity. The enemy would love nothing more than for you to be in isolation, for you to define yourself by your issue, for him to whisper those lies that says, you're not a daughter, 
Forget about being a son. No, all you are is your issue. But hear me tonight. You are not defined by your issue. And brokenness does not run in your blood. You are not defined by your struggles. Do not let the enemy try to distort you in your loneliness. What loneliness should do is it should lead us to run back to God, to the Father who never abandons us. That's why Jesus came and died, that we could always have him. What isolation is, is this a place to keep us stuck, separated from everyone else. Leverage your loneliness to allow that to be a reminder the times when you should go to God, the one who says that you are never alone. Now notice, I didn't say that he promised that you will never feel lonely. No, God never promised that. But he did promise that you would never be alone. That he would never leave you or forsake you. So allow your loneliness to lead you to Jesus. I put it in my notes like this. I said, isn't it fascinating that we can spend so much of our time trying not to be alone that we forget we are never alone. Don't let the enemy isolate you. And don't let him distort your loneliness. Allow it to be your trigger to go to God, to the one who never leaves you nor forsakes you. So if the enemy can isolate us, then he can influence us. Here's the second thing I believe God would want us to know tonight. If you're taking notes, write this one down. Feelings are not facts. I will say it again, thank you. <laughs> Feelings are not always facts. Feelings are not facts. See, whenever I'm tempted to get lost into the thoughts that I'm having or the feelings that I'm feeling, I instead allow it to be my reminder to go to God's word. And the verse that I cling to when struggling to this is in Isaiah. When it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. See, in other words, what's that saying is God's thoughts aren't our thoughts. God's thoughts are always higher. God's thoughts are always greater. And God's thoughts are always better. But the enemy, he would want us so tightly entangled with his thoughts of what you're not. Don't believe them. If you Google the word lonely, this is the definition that you'll see for it. It says lonely is a feeling of great sadness as one is without companions. And hear my heart. I think it's actually incredibly difficult to try to define the great anguish and pain that loneliness can bring. But what gives me courage about that definition is no matter what definition you try to pull, one thing remains the same. It says it is a feeling, not a fact. It is a feeling, not a fact. Do not let your feelings try to dictate your ability to receive potential healing through Jesus. Don't let the enemy win in that area of your life. Your feelings are not always fact. I remember there was this one time where me and my boyfriend were celebrating our anniversary. 
and he worked hard to take us to the Angus Barn. Now, if you never heard of the Angus Barn, Google defines that as a fine dining experience, <laughs> which is basically a pretty fancy way of saying the cheapest meal you're gonna find on the menu is about $50. And so he goes online, you know, cause he's sweet, puts in that little reservation and he tells them we're celebrating an anniversary. So I walk into this fancy place and y'all, they like rolled out the red carpet for us. There's like nine people greeting us at the door. We walk in, there's a fireplace and then they ignite it. And I sit down and I'm like, oh, what kind of anniversary do they think this is? I'm like taking my rings off. I'm like, hi. <laughs> and immediately I'm looking at my outfit and I'm like, why did I pick this? And, and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, wow. This place is fancy. And right about now is when I feel really out of place here. But as we sat down at our table, the thing that hurt the worst is I made eye contact with this couple that was sitting towards the right. And I watched as they stared so intently at us. And as they stared, they just started whispering to one another. See, in my life personally, one of the greatest lies that I can get captivated by is the opinions of what other people may be thinking about me. And as I was sitting there, looking at their stares, I started to think back to all the shameful things that have been said to us when someone was judging us. And so immediately I thought to myself, they're judging us. And I was hurt and all I really wanted to do was hide. And sweet David, like he was getting excited over the water that the waiter was pouring. <laughs> And I was like, oh, you're so good. <laughs> and I was sitting there and I just felt the Holy Spirit prompting me like, Abby, you need to enjoy. And you need to release that pain that you're feeling. So just in my thoughts between me and God, I prayed in my head. I said, Lord, would you bless them according to their thoughts? Amen. Not too long after that, the couple got up and they walked out to leave only after staring at us one more time. And I'll never forget this. The waiter walked by pretty soon after they left. And he said, hey, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt, but I don't know if you noticed that couple over there, but they couldn't overhelp but hear you as you were talking about how you were celebrating an anniversary. And so they wanted to go ahead and pay for your meal tonight. Here's a gift card that will cover it all. Y'all, I was baffled. It's like $15 to touch a fork at the Angus barn. <laughs> and these people, they paid for not one, but two meals. I was baffled. And I remember sitting there saying, thank you, God. You bless them according to their thoughts. <laughs> but in that moment, I really heard God say, and Abby, allow that to be the last time you try to allow what you're feeling to become a fact. See, I thought those people were judging me, but really they were looking for a way in which they could bless me. So hear me, just like that leper, you stop at nothing. No assumption of what others may think about you, no shame in what's been said to you, you stop at nothing to run straight to the feet of Jesus and allow his word to define you. And the word that he speaks to you is that you are greatly loved. 
Just like it says in Lamentations 3, verse 23. Just as it says in Daniel 3, verse 23. Just as it says in 1 John 4, 10, you are greatly loved. So we must remember in our loneliness, when the enemy can isolate us, it's there he can influence us. And allow that Angus Barnes story to be a reminder that your feelings are not always fact. Here's the last thing. When we're in the midst of our loneliness, we should cultivate community. A great pastor, she once said that shame is a lot like mold. It grows in the dark and shame can isolate us. As we read in Mark chapter one, it said that when the leper approached Jesus in order to be healed, he fell at his feet. And when we look back into the text of Leviticus, we can see that the written law said that for someone with leprosy to approach someone, they had to be further away than 50 feet. So that this leper coming near to Jesus, that probably was closer than 50 feet. And do you know what the punishment could be for that man? He could be stoned to death and the law would approve it. For this leper to approach Jesus was a risk. But it's not only a risk for the leper, it's also a risk for Jesus. Because for Jesus to welcome this man, to partner with him, to touch him, that would make Jesus unclean and therefore shunned by society. But when it comes to you and me, when it comes to being a child of God, there is nothing that will stop our God from being able to reach you. And what I love about Jesus is when this man came up to him and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. The truth I know about my Jesus from reading his Bible is all Jesus had to do was say a word and the man could be clean. But Jesus wasn't about to settle for society's norms. Because it's told us in verse 41, it said that once that man said that, Jesus reached out and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. The man reached out and asked Jesus for healing. And Jesus met him with a touch. And notice how sacred that touch must have been. Who knows how long it had been since that man had ever even felt a touch. But Jesus knew that it took one touch to break all the cycles of brokenness in this man's life. Hear me. How can someone pray for you if you never had the courage to reach out and cultivate community? How can someone partner with you about breakthrough in your work and guidance for your job if you never ask someone to pray for you about it? How can someone walk alongside of you, be your battle buddy for the kingdom of heaven and fight on your behalf of that diagnosis you're going through if you never ask someone to pray for you about it? Hear me, we wanna cultivate community before the crisis. You don't wanna be going through something thinking, well, who can I tell? No, you wanna have already cultivated that community. And hear me, I know that there is a risk for reaching out and letting people in. The leper knew that too. 
But he also knew that the reward was too great to miss out. I put it in my notes like this. We don't get to control what we go through in life, but we can control who we get to go through it with. We can't choose what storms come our way, what bad things happen, but we can control who we get to go through it with. So in our loneliness, let us remember to not let the enemy isolate us, that our feelings are not fact, and a great remedy for loneliness is to cultivate community because Jesus doesn't want us to do life alone. My absolute favorite thing about this passage of scripture is once that man comes up to Jesus and he asks him to heal him and then Jesus performs the miracle. Did you catch what it said in verse 45? It said that as a result of the miracle, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. A life of someone with leprosy is lonely. They were shunned on the outskirts of town. Jesus healed them, and not only did he heal them, but he exchanged places with them. He went to the lonely place so the man could walk free. So that place in your life you're struggling in, that place where you're praying if anybody sees you, and if they saw you, what would they even think of you? That place in which you're praying for one person to understand you, that lonely place, Jesus exchanged everything to take it on for you so that you don't have to find a means to escape. You are greatly loved and you are never alone. 